anxiety levels have gone up by 23%, depression levels have gone up by 23%, and stress have also skyrocketed. The highest burnout rate is people that work from home. Uh, we are social creatures, evolutionarily. One of the reasons we survived is because we teamed up in tribes and we started to work together collaboratively and connect with each other collaboratively. And so today our brains are wired, we're social creatures. We want and need social connection for a healthy brain function, literally. And there's even research now that social connection is one of the main ways to heal trauma most effectively. An isolated brain becomes inflamed. It's really scary. The white matter of your brain starts to shrivel and shrink and the white matter of your brain is the part of your brain that allows for easy communication of messages in your nervous system. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Cody Isabel. Cody is a brain researcher and entrepreneur and the CEO and co-founder of Mind, Brain, and Body Lab, which focuses on bringing successful treatment outcomes to those who are healing from PTSD and anxiety caused by traumas like emotional abuse, burnout, or after a breakup or divorce. They use AI algorithms to analyze the biometric and behavioral data collected to aid in the treatments they provide their clients. You can learn more about Cody at mindbrainbodylab.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Cody. Cody, I'd like to welcome you to the corporate couch. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped. <laughs> yeah, this is a big event for us. You're our first 25-ish CEO, uh, multiple-time CEO. So I'm honored. I hope I represent us well. Yeah, so congratulations to that. I appreciate it. So I'd like to just uh, start with something fun. Um, you know, we've been in a pandemic three plus years now and definitely going to talk to you about all that with your work in mental health, because that's probably been mental health has been a key uh, challenge for a lot of people, pandemic and post pandemic. But we've been on Zoom March of 2020. What's the craziest uh, attire somebody has wore on a professional Zoom call or lack of attire? Hmm. That's an interesting one. I've seen many people in their PJs. I've seen plenty of people in shorts with like business tops. During Halloween, there were like way back in the pandemic, there's like a Halloween costume networking Zoom thing okay. I went to, and people were dressed up in all sorts of crazy stuff. I saw somebody dressed up like a dragon, somebody dressed up like a fairy, somebody dressed up like uh, Deadpool from from Marvel. That probably that's probably some of the craziest ones. Yeah, even though it was like Halloween. <laughs> that's all right. I love it. Yeah, we've had people with no shirts on. They get, just got them to work out, just towel and no shirt. It was a guy. Lingerie, I've had. Yeah, so it's uh, been interesting. Uh, um, Wild, explicit yeah. over there. Yeah, 
but we've also had some mundane stuff. Some people wouldn't say, <laughs> so it's all good. Um, and and you grew up in Kansas City, correct? Yep, Blue Springs specifically, but yeah, Kansas yeah. area. Okay, so uh, when you were growing up here in 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 Kansas City area, what what was your kind of being a, when you were going to be an adult? What you want to be when you grew up? So for the longest time, I wanted to be a uh, brain surgeon, <laughs> crazily enough, like a like a neurologist, brain surgeon. I just thought that was interesting. It sounded kind of challenging, and I liked the brain. I went to middle school at a place called St. John's, and they had this – it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. But it was like this blow-up human body or whatever. They put it in the gym, and it's like, like a bouncy house, how they like blow up with the air. It was kind of like that, except when it blew up and expanded, it was like a human body that was laying down across the gym. And it was like full of air and had all these things and you could like walk through it. And I went through that and uh, we walked through the top of the head or whatever of this like plastic blown up thing. And there was these yellow things all over the place. And I was like, what the heck? And as I'm running through the rest of this little exhibit thing, I noticed that those yellow things were everywhere. And I was like, what the hell is this? Which I came to find out those were nerve cells, like neurons and nerves going throughout the body from the brain. And that was the first time I was like, what? The stuff up here deals with everything else and is in every part and every cell of our body. Like, what? what is that? And from that point forward, I was always interested in the brain. So <laughs> that's kind of where it started. Interesting. So uh, I know you've played a, a, at least a little bit of basketball in college. It, you had no uh, NBA aspirations or anything like that? <laughs> no, my biggest aspiration was playing at KU. I didn't uh, quite make it that far. Um, I wanted to play there, like, and I love KU still, even to this day, but I ended up getting a couple, like, D2 offers that were too close to home. I wanted to get away. My parents wanted me to get away. Like, like my mom's really was huge about, like, get away and go, like, into the world and, like, experience something away from us. And so uh, I had an offer up at Iowa, up in Iowa at Simpson College, Indianola, it's near Des Moines. And so I went up there for college, play basketball, smaller D3 school. Nice. What, uh, what position were you? I was a power forward, four or five-ish guy. We had a couple pretty tall dudes, 6'11", 6'9". So I was more of like a four-ish, five or so. You're you're at least 6'5", right? Yeah, 6'6". So Well, you play, yeah, but you play about 6'9", 6'10". I had to, especially when I was in high school at Blue Springs. I was was our only big guy, and I was playing against 6'10", 6'9", guys, so... I learned how to play against that type of way tall people, even taller than me uh, quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's great. So you didn't become a neurosurgeon, but you did major in neuroscience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you obviously your passion for the brain uh, led you to that major. Was that how it worked? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I started studying in high school, college courses and stuff. My Blue Springs had some really cool, like advanced courses you could take um, starting in high school. And so I, I love that. That was awesome. And then I, or I majored in neuroscience. I did some exercise science and uh, nutrition minors as well. So that was awesome. And I loved it. <laughs> it was the best. So that's what my degree is, cognitive behavioral neuroscience. You are the only neuroscience major on the podcast so far. Also. So there you go. You're just setting record after record here. So uh, <laughs> I love it. I how'd love you, it. Uh, you graduate from Simpson with a cognitive behavior neuroscience degree how did you get your first job and what was that job? I was in a fraternity at Simpson as well. So uh, a lot of people are like, wait, you played basketball and we're in a fraternity. Uh, so my junior year of basketball, I got my like fourth or fifth concussion. And so the NCAA doesn't let you continue to play. 
um, after like four or five, they don't cover you with insurance. So I had to stop playing. Um, and so I had way more time. And I, so I, uh, in my fraternity, I got really involved. Um, I got involved with the alumni and things like that. And out of that alumni network, um, a guy named Steve Montague was from, went to Simpson, was in ATO, also played basketball, and then now lives in Kansas City. And I was like, what the heck? And so I connected with him and he was talking to me because at the time I was literally about to go into medical school and because I was pre-med, I had all everything ready to go um, for medical school, recs and everything um, about to take the MCAT. But um, there was just something I, because I, I had shadowed a ton of people. Um, I, I got to shadow some really, really, really cool people, especially here at like, KU, Dr. Caroline Reimer, like, who was like leading the uh, like neurology division of KU at the time. So like I got to do some really cool stuff in that field, some neuroradiologists, some neuro like anatomists, things like that. There was just something that wasn't lighting my fire as much about what I was seeing and what I was experiencing. Cause I'm like a social butterfly. Like I'm like golden retriever of humans here. And like the vibe I was getting just was not, I, it, something felt a little off, but, I'd always been like, that's just been my goal for so long that I was just letting that goal kind of carry me forward. So when I talked to Steve, it was the first time he was really like, well, you don't have to go to medical school. You don't have to go to do this other stuff. Uh, Medical school or graduate school, like, yeah, you can always go back and different things. It's like, have you ever thought about like business or like something in like the business field? And I had, because I grew up like since I'm 14, I've been knocking on doors, selling roofs, siding, windows, all sorts of stuff. And so sales and business has always been a passion. I started a recruiting company with my best friend in college. So like I've always, I've always kind of businessy type stuff and brain stuff. And so um, Steve was the first to kind of kind of put something other, a different path in my head, and then asked me to come shadow him at Sandler. Uh, Sandler Training was the name of the company. He runs a franchise of Sandler Training, and I went to shadow him when I was home from college on a break or something at like one of their communication days, like a big training day or whatever. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is awesome. I love everything about this. Um, and I was completely sold on it after that first day. It was just so fun. Like, and as I studied Sandler more, I realized that Sandler was created by a cognitive psychologist and a business guy coming together. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, uh-huh. this is perfect. And so I started getting, um, or start, that's, that's kind of how I uh, transitioned from how I got my first job and then transitioned into Sandler out of college. Yeah, it's just incredible. Like, and that's been a, a pattern that I've seen repeatedly with the guests. Like, they don't really know. Uh, well, they think they know sometimes that what they want to do, but it gets changed. Like, you know, Brad Douglas was going to be a concert pianist. And then he decided he studied all these years and went to William Jewell on a musical scholarship. And then he, he, right before he graduated, he was thinking, I, I don't know if I can spend 10 hours a day practicing piano. You know, he, he came to the realization, like, that's going to be my life. And he, like, pivoted, yeah. went to Georgetown for a law degree. And there's, and many guests do this kind of same thing. They're drawn to something. Yeah, so Sandler, is, is that unusual to take somebody right out of college to work for a Sandler franchise, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it very much is. Uh, the reason it worked out is because of the amount of experience in selling that I had had. Um, because my best friend, my best friend, his name's Chris Wingle. You might know him. 
he his dad runs a roofing company owns a roofing company and so since we were children chris and i have been knocking doors and doing project management and all sorts of stuff selling for his dad um and then i worked at like renewal by anderson selling windows and doors and siding and all sorts of stuff and so i had a lot of experience in selling um especially door to door which is like intense stuff and so generally sandler they at the time weren't taking very many young people at all because they had no experience and so like, you're going to put a 20, what, what was like 22 at the time. And I'm going to just train or like teach uh, like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds sometimes. Um, and there's no credibility because if generally, if you don't, if you've only been to school, you have no experience selling, you have no stories, Right. but I had a lot of stories from door Yeah, because you I probably did a of ton of outbound calling and door knocking and exactly. a ton of presentations. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent, and so it it worked out. Trade show, all sorts of stuff, um, and it, like if you've ever sold like real salespeople or salespeople, kind of like the uh, like you know you're a real salesperson if you've cold called, if you've done more than a hundred cold calls in a day, if you've door knocked, like if you've done like there's these like yeah. uh, barriers to entrance, like credibility yeah. barriers. If you're on a hundred percent commission plan, that's yes. a, you know badge of honor. Exactly. And I'd always been on 100% commission. And so I, uh, it worked out perfectly. My background just serendipitously enough worked out that I had a ton of stories really young that made sense. And I got credibility quickly, even with older people, because that was a big challenge at the beginning was teaching older people um, and having them actually listen to me. But when I was telling them, I got, I got thrown off doorsteps. I got the police call on me. Like I have these stories that um, someone who's been doing sales for 10 years, which by the, by that time I had been, I just didn't look like it. Um, so I got credibility quickly from that. And that's why Steve was like, yeah, I think this will work. Um, and so he took me under his wing. Yeah, that's great. And I, and if, just from a company corporate perspective, I always say great B2B marketers almost had to have a sales experience to be a great B2B marketer. Cause you can, you put completely. Yeah. Cause you, you know what the drill is. And then, you know, salespeople can't say, well, you never carried the bag or, you know, something like that to sell, but yes, yep. I have. And I've sold that, you know, hundred percent commission. I've, I've sold that national accounts where my client was 13% of the publicly traded companies, uh, you know, revenue type thing. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. That's another badge. Of honor. That's an awesome one. I, I don't even have that one. So that, that's, that's another. Well, cool yeah. One. Maybe, you know, by the time you get to 30 years old, you might get. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll come back to the selling because I'm, I'm interested. Uh, so you'd spent a couple of years at Sandler and right after that, is that when you started your first company? Yeah. So I spent a few years at Sandler. Um, my initial goal there, I've always wanted to lead things, run things. Like I'm just, I, I just I have that mentality. <laughs> and so, uh, my goal when I was working there uh, initially was to buy that franchise from Steve. I was his retirement plan. And the more that the franchise aspect of it, I would own the franchise, but not the whole thing. And so that was just that concept got harder for me. I didn't couldn't see myself at Santa for that long term. And so God bless his soul. Steve understood when I came to him and, and was articulating my feelings and thoughts about like, I don't think that I want to actually buy this anymore. And I've been there for like two and a half or like three years at the time. And I articulated those things and he was cool about it. He's like, yeah, I understand. Like it was, it was cool. It, which at the time I was really young going to someone that took me under their wing has been a mentor to me, has been someone that like gives a shit about me and is, is invested in my success more than anyone yet. 
others than my probably my parents. <laughs> and so I was really nervous to have that conversation, but it went fine. Like as most conversations you're nervous about, like right, um, right. It, it went okay and went fine. And he completely, I still meet with him every other week or every three weeks, talk about just catch up and talk about sales, business development, like, and, and kind of refine some of my skills. So I keep sharpening that ax. And so after that conversation is when I jumped out and I started my first company, Conceive, Believe, Achieve is the name technically of the first company I worked on. And I was working with people during, that was right in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> and that's when I initially, the first thing I ever did was work with people on coaching for anxiety, depression, things like that during the pandemic, like behavioral change during the pandemic. So that was fun. And then that shifted into a neurotechnology company with Gwen. Gwen Gillette has been my co-founder and everything pretty much. And she's the technical half, has been the technical half. And at the time she was doing apps, building apps for all sorts of different things, but she was doing app development. And so we jumped together to start doing some, we were doing some app development. We were doing some website development. We we're doing all sorts of random things like right up front. And we shifted into algorithms when Gwen and I had kind of been piecing some things together. Her background is bioinformatics, like technology. And so she understands biology, but she understands technology and I understand the brain and biology. And so we kind of put our heads together to create an algorithm at the time. This is a few years ago before all the AI stuff got crazy. And she created an algorithm that was more accurate than, than anything that people had seen thus far. And then a, a tool called Raven, which was the tool that we founded a company called CBA Intelligence around, which was a data annotation, data cleaning type tool. And then it could do some analytics after the data was clean, it could do analytics on it. And we were working in the consumer package goods space. That's when Emerson came on as well. Um, I know you know Emerson, Emerson Hodis as a founding partner with Gwen and I. And then we got an investment for that, for that company or whatever, to try, took that to the consumer package goods space. And then we had just talked about this where we hopped on here, wrapping that up, closing that up early 2023, because um, it just wasn't the right space. Like we got into a space that we didn't know that well, which is manufacturing. <laughs> I don't know what 20 something child belongs in a manufacturing floor <laughs> uh, <laughs> most of the time. So we I'm were trying sure to sell the people. There and I'm a little over 25. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough. And we, we just, we didn't have a front end. Like we had a back end tool. So people didn't understand what we were talking about and they couldn't see it. And so then that's what shifted us over to where I'm at today, which is my very body lab. So I don't know if that was too fast. No, that's great. No, yeah, let's yeah, let's break down. So, okay, so you go from Sandler where you're part of the company, you're doing training, you're phenomenal because of all your selling experience, um, and then you basically become a CEO. And and so, what was your biggest learning outside of you? Probably you shouldn't have been in the manufacturing vertical. But what was your biggest learning becoming a CEO at such a young age? Couple things, people and uh, product. <laughs> so people like finding the right people. It's super important. Hiring and firing is is tough. Uh, <laughs> for me, firing like the hiring is fun because it's like, oh yeah, team, let's go. And I'm a, I'm a, again, I'm like that golden retriever. I'm like, let's do it. I love people. Firing is tough. Firing fast is even harder. Um, it just feels like you're letting somebody down. And so that young sucks. It's uh, that's really that's really tough. Um, hiring people that are older than you. I literally, my entire career has been built around hiring people that are smarter and literally older than me. 
So that's that's yeah, when, interesting. Well, when you're a 25 year old or however old you were at first, uh, CEO, like everybody's older than you, <laughs> for the yeah. most part. You know, at I mean, some, just, depending on the job, but yeah, I mean, right. So that was that's a, that's an interesting piece of uh, or a lesson on how to. And I got a lot of this training from Sandler, honestly, because I was in front of older people all the time, teaching them, training them, workshops, selling with them, coaching them. And so I got, that was good, really good experience for then having to hire, manage, and lead my own team of people that are a little bit older than me. So that was a big lesson. And then product, probably the biggest lesson I've learned, period, is find a problem, then create a solution, as opposed to having a solution and then trying to find a problem. One, like the, probably the biggest lesson I've learned. And then the other, the, the third one is the best way to sell anything is with a crowd. The, the best marketing strategy is a crowd. And so building up a personal presence, a brand, using social media and influence in that, in, in that way, like a crowd sells everything and sells anything right. and gets more people. Um, and so those are probably the big three things. So you started your own recruiting firm in college. Did that help you with your hiring of people? And what were you recruiting in, in college when you had your own company? Yeah, so uh, that was, uh, I helped start one. Chris, my best friend who I was mentioning, I, like, like literally my, my brother, he started the company Aspiration Staffing. He graduated from college in three years. He's a genius. Started that company. And then I helped him. He's like, hey, I need someone to help me start this. We start this with me. I was like, let's do it. And so what we were selling was outside sales roles, essentially, and then project management roles. So we worked with, uh, that, it was Aspiration Staffing was the name of it. Um, and we worked with like Cintas, uh, we worked with, uh, what's the other one? There's another, they do, oh, Unifirst. So, so so pretty big brands that were trusting us to recruit for them. We were just looking for outside sales roles. And we were mostly on LinkedIn um, going over. I mean, that's, it was it was great experience. And 100% helps me with hiring now because I know how to scan through a LinkedIn profile like really quickly and how to create a resume and what to look for. Like, it's like, I, I can just do it so fast and I know how to message people. And then we were cold calling. Like I was in my college room, just cold calling, uh, right. talking to these people. So all three of those things were very, very helpful uh, in multiple facets, especially in hiring, literally hiring right now. And I'm doing exactly that process except for myself. So it's amazing uh, to me because you are obviously, you know, you don't get a neuroscience cognitive behavior degree, you know, land a job at Sandler right out of college. So you, you have a credible, I mean, you know, the tough part for entrepreneurs is it's usually the sales business development part. And you really had that from your teenage years <laughs> to college <laughs> and to yeah. into Sa Sandler, right? So, you know, what advice would you have for kind of more of the, I'll say, technology focused entrepreneur that's great at maybe, you know, the AI and machine learning, but running a company and getting customers is a whole different field so what do you what's your advice there Cody? call me <laughs> i uh i'm looking for a technical co-founder right now like uh as much it's interesting the way you frame it because to me i wish i had their skills and so then the way you're framing it is like they wish they had my skills so it's just like oh it's, it's crazy so it's it's good for me to think that i am worthwhile to them and i they are worthwhile to me but i mean the advice i would have is truly find someone that can help you with it like you're an expert at your thing, they're an expert at theirs. Like that's the, one of the best ways I can think about it. I think there's a lot to be said for being able to learn the skill yourself. But anytime that someone who's that technical spends on going to learn those types of things, I don't think is worth it. 
I don't think they'll be good enough at it to for it to be necessarily worth it. But I will say the best advice I would give is become proficient enough to be able to communicate. When you if you can't communicate something technical to a non-technical person, there's a real big barrier. And it's the same for me. Like I've had technical people come up to me and say, like, wait, you're not a developer. I was like, no, I just I study this stuff. I know how to talk about this stuff. I know it in depth, but I can't. I can't do it. I can't put my fingers on the keyboard like you can. But that's because I've trained myself to be proficient technically. Um, no, I know what languages. I know the most recent updates. I know like what companies to watch for, like that type of that piece of it. So become proficient enough to be able to communicate and understand and be able to have a conversation with someone who's more business savvy or sales savvy. If that's not your specific scale, skill and learn communication skills. Like it's the biggest one. Like it's communication skills where people because people technical people over and over again start feature dumping because they don't know what to talk about and they get anxious or nervous in a conversation. So they start to say, well, we can do this and they can do that. And they start to get into it's Python this and this C++ code. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because they don't have the basic communication skills on how to be more interested than interesting. And so that would be probably some of the advice I would give is like become proficient enough that you can communicate well, but you don't need to learn the skill completely. Find someone that can do it for you and team up with you, but be proficient enough to communicate. Yeah, that's great advice. I want to uh, go back to something you said earlier when we talked about Zoom and the pandemic and what you were doing. But, uh, I, you know, there's been a lot, I think, really, besides having a global pandemic, what it put the spotlight <laughs> on is is people's mental health because of the, you know, we're, we're social beings as humans. And now we were, you know, uh, however many months or weeks we were, you know, not being able to go out and and socialize and the whole work from home and oh, yeah. you know, kids being home, being homeschooled. I mean, not homeschooled, but <laughs> going to public schools or private schools, yeah. but doing it from their home. Right. And, um, and all the mental health issues surrounding it, uh, what kind of, since you're an expert, what, what, What's your take? You know, what was mental health prior to pandemic and what is it now? Yeah, I mean, statistically speaking, anxiety levels have gone up by 23%. Depression levels have gone up by 23%, I believe. And stress has gone up. Burnout, stress, burnout, kind of similar concepts have also skyrocketed. The highest burnout rate is people that work from home. And so remote workers have more burnout than uh, normal workers, like like in-person workers, which is wild. Unless you understand kind of the brain, social connection, and, and uh, we are social creatures. Evolutionarily, one of the reasons we survived is because we teamed up in tribes. And we started to work together collaboratively and connect with each other collaboratively. And that's why we survived and thrived. Um, and so today, um, our brains are wired. We're social creatures. Like... We want and need social connection for a healthy brain function, truly, literally. And there's even research now that social connection is one of the main ways to heal trauma most effectively is, is through social connection. And so uh, an isolated brain becomes inflamed. Like it's really scary. The white matter of your brain starts to shrivel and shrink. And the white matter of your brain is the part of your brain that allows for easy communication of messages in your nervous system. And so isolation leading to that inflammation, that low-grade chronic inflammation that gets built up, then leads to anxiety, stress, depression, memory loss, brain fog, mood. So all the things you hear about all stem from that initial isolation. And so the pandemic did a number on 
social connection, um, and then also a number on all sorts of other things, which we can get into, but messing up exercise routines, nutrition, people's ability to play and have fun was, was messed up, which is huge for healthy brain function. So, and sleep. That was another thing that got messed up by sleep, not only by the virus itself. If you get it, it messes up your sleep a little bit, pretty dramatically, but people oversleeping sometimes or not being able to fall asleep or staying up super late and their sleep schedule getting messed up and stuff because they're at home all the time. So, or their sleep space becoming their workspace. And so that messes with your brain. So there's a whole host of things that uh, the pandemic absolutely from a like, neuroscience perspective did a number on the, on the brain and the after effects, the mental health we're seeing. I don't even think we've seen the beginning. Like we're not even at the tip of the iceberg on the effects we've seen from it because there's a whole generation of children who's like in their most important formative years uh, were isolated away from their friends, not getting the social connection their brains needed. So, and I, I can't even pontificate enough on what that would look like in the future I, because it's just, we have no idea yet, but we'll see it as they grow up. Yeah. Interesting. I, as we were talking about before we went live here, you know, I, I'm teaching a business class at uh, university of Kansas and I've had, like four, at least four students out of 36 that had some kind of mental health anxiety issues during the course of semester. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, and, and they're the, you know, generation that, you know, did their, you know, maybe last year of high school via zoom, uh, yeah. at least part of, you know, college, depending on, you know, what year they're in. Uh, I have sophomores, mainly juniors and seniors, but a smattering of sophomores. So, I mean, it's just, you know, I, you wouldn't even know what that's like, you know, to have your senior year taken away. And I know it's a global pandemic and you know, we're, we're yeah. not getting into the, pol uh, the politics of, you know, how it was handled. But, you know, um, so your uh, your existing company, uh, the Mind uh, Brain Body Lab, uh, what are you doing to address some of the mental health issues? Mind Brain Body Lab was started when I was convinced like we've been talking this whole time how I'm like a traditional sales business guy. So I'm like, cold calls. I'm going to go to networking events. I'm going to do all that kind of stuff, cold emails, whatever. And I was convinced that I should start posting on social media um, and start trying to use that as a medium for personal brand and awareness of some of these issues and like take neuroscience education and turn that into like content and something people will watch um, as entertaining education, essentially. And I was completely against it at first. I was like, there's no freaking way. This is a waste of time. There's no way this works um, or is effective. But Gwen, who now runs a social media company that literally does what she did with me, uh, she convinced me. And I was like, all right, like, screw it. Like, let's, let's just try it. So we started posting content about the brain. Um, and she had this whole entire battle plan for we're going to post in this niche and we're going to post this type of stuff and this whole thing for like how to test out what we should be posting. And then we found a really good niche inside of narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, like relational trauma. There's a huge, huge, huge need for that. And it just blew up like hundreds of thousands of followers and tons and tons of people reaching out, wanting help, needing help. And so that's kind of where it started. Um, and we've been building from there. And so being able to work a lot, I, I've gotten certified in uh, internal family systems, which is a type of the type of psychotherapy that I work on with my clients. And I've gotten trained in a couple other trauma-informed methodologies that are really bottom-up, that focus on the neuroscience and research as opposed to just talking about things. And so that's really where we've come. Um, and so what we focus on now is the educational part, which is our content, which is mostly free. 
all of our content is free. Um, the coaching and the work that I do with groups and individual people, that's like our business, but our content, the education part is completely free. Um, you can DM us and we'll respond and I'll give you as much help as I possibly can through a DM. It's helping people with complex PTSD that are struggling with trauma, that are in abusive or narcissistic relationships, or they just got out of a narcissistic or an emotionally abusive relationship. The narcissistic word is used far too much, if you ask me, like 2% of the population is an actual narcissist. Most people are struggling with emotional abuse, which is still sucks and doesn't feel good, but I digress. Narcissism is just used a lot. And so I don't always, <laughs> I say it because people get it, but again, I use too much. But uh, so we help people with that and support them. And so we do coaching with them. We work them through internal family systems, which is a bottom up methodology that helps them process trauma in their body because trauma happens more uh, most traumatic events are stored in your body uh, because your brain and your mind can't hold on to, to trauma. So they store it in your body because your body has cells that can hold on to trauma. And so we help them release that trauma from their body and regulate their nervous system so that they can actually heal. What we have found when people come to us is they've been to traditional therapy. They've gone and had the conversations with traditional therapists or top down like talk therapists where they are talking about the trauma and it's no shot against talk therapy or anything. Um, they're just not trauma-informed. If you re-talk about trauma over and over again, it can be re-traumatizing and do more damage than good. And so by processing that trauma in your body and being able to release it from your body and process it that way in a non-traumatizing way is way more effective, especially for trauma. And so that's what we focus on, like our methodologies focus on. And then we do a lot of measurement where we're collecting data. So we give everybody, every all of our clients get a WHOOP, which is a biometric device that allows people to track, we can track their heart rate, their heart rate variability, their body temperature, their blood oxygen, all this data on them, um, their exercise data, their strain data, their stress levels, their sleep data, all sorts of stuff. We can analyze that data alongside what we're talking about in their sessions, like subjectively, like they're saying, I'm struggling with this thing. like. And we can look at their data and have a conversation about how to improve what they're doing in their life and how to heal most effectively based on their data. And with enough data, after we get enough clients, we'll be able to predict mental and emotional health with that data and the subjective reporting. So that's what we're kind of up to right now. Like, And so a, an example of that is we had a lady that was uh, having spikes in her heart rate randomly throughout the day and her heart rate variability would drop like randomly, like six or seven times uh, throughout the day. And she had been sexually assaulted by a specific type, a specific ethnicity of person. And in the place that she lived, that ethnicity was everywhere. And so when she would leave her house, she saw her gardener, that was that ethnicity, heart rate spikes. She went to the grocery store, heart rate, the library, heart rate, gym, heart rate was spiking. And she was having these micro panic attacks that she didn't even consciously realize she was having, but we could see in her data. And so we were able to articulate that to her. And she's like, holy crap, I never even noticed this. I didn't realize I had this stored in me. And so we we're able to, to pinpoint that trauma in her body through her data because your body gives you a lot of data. You just have to track it. And so that's a lot of what we're doing right now. Happy to talk about what we're trying to do in the future too, but that's what we're doing right now. We're on Zoom right now. So you, it looks like a Fitbit, basically the device. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's like remote patient monitoring on steroids, kind of. Yeah, I mean, you have sold all these certifications um, at such a young age. And then I saw your uh, NLP 
practitioner and I, the only thing I, I know a little bit about that, and I, we may have chatted over coffee when we've met, is I'm, I, I like Tony Robbins. I know he's big on the neuro linguistic programming or whatever it stands for. Uh, so yep. you're a practitioner of that. You went through uh, Alex McAnderson's Reiki, so you're a master level Reiki. I mean, that's uh, so you're like a you're like a uh, kind of a Leonardo da Vinci of uh, twenty <laughs> the twenty twenties. I mean, you're, you're you're doing all these different things. I mean, neuroscience. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, the Reiki, uh, more, you know, uh, Eastern uh, medicine and health uh, treatment. And, and obviously the NLP is right in your wheelhouse from a, but, uh, you know, is that just your personality? You, you want to learn all these different things that approach uh, mental health in various ways? Yeah, 100%. I want to unify them mostly with, with technology. Like I'm hugely, hugely passionate about technology and its ability to help people and being able to unify all these different methodologies, learn about all these different methodologies is huge. Like cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral, the, the, the science underneath CBT is cognitive behavioral neuroscience and cognitive behavioral psychology. And so that's uh, where a lot of my like hardcore research and study has, has gone. So I learned that route. Then the Reiki stuff allows me, Alex, freaking love her, uh, reached out to me on LinkedIn. She's like, I felt energetically connected. And I was like, uh, I rule initially. Right. Uh, and I kind of had that perspective about it. And, and, but then we, her and I met and she's like, here's what I do. And I was like, huh, she's like, is there science behind this? And she really was coming at it like empirically. She was asking me to give like, like really like dissect the neuroscience behind it. And so that's how I started getting into Reiki. Cause I, I started looking at diving into research around it. And there's a whole field of study called biofield um, research that shows and suggests that the stuff that people talk about inside of Reiki and, and what practitioners, really advanced practitioners like Alex are doing is affecting the biofield um, that we all like are a part of. And that's real tangible fMRIs, like MMRIs, like all sorts of tangible, actual, rational things that you can see and put your hands on scientifically. And so that that's a, one other vibe. NLP is like an OG, one of the oldest Probably not one of the oldest, but but a really, really one of the first times that uh, someone tried to put a framework to some of the psychology stuff and what's happening and how we form thoughts and beliefs and patterns and all sorts of things in our head. So I, th I think that's really interesting. There's some cool stuff over there. Internal family systems, somatic experiencing are like really bottom up focused ones that I'm working on right now that I think are really, really cool. And I love to learn all of these things so that I can then help people, my clients more effectively, the people that I work with that are struggling with trauma and stuff, first and foremost. But then second of all, be able to connect and interconnect um, the mind, brain, and body with data, machine learning, AI, like neurotechnology, like those types of things. Because I really, I really, really believe that we can unify, we can unify a lot of people and break a lot of barriers with the brain and technology. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think we've done your uh, kind of focus on uh, AI and machine learning and other things. I mean, you know, uh, at your previous company and now with Mind Brain Body Lab, I mean, you're you're really on the leading edge of things in in the AI space, which is just you know phenomenal that you're using that oh, yeah. for mental health and, and making people's lives better. I mean, that's you know, kudos to you. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a fun time. I, uh, I, I love, I, we're working right now on an AI companion. I was just showing, I was showing you, uh, most people haven't seen that yet. So you're one of the first to get to see that, but 
uh, we're working on an AI companion for between therapy sessions that can uh, talk to people. Imagine like Siri, but for your mental health, um, that can help you through uh, and actually achieve behavioral change and the changes that you need, the healing that you need to between sessions. So you get 50 minutes with a therapist every two, three, four weeks sometimes. What's happening the rest of the time? Right. right? Um, and so that's uh, that's what we're kind of focusing on attacking right now. Yeah, and I, you know, the other thing, I think the younger generation, you know, they're, they're so used to technology. So to use technology for mental health is probably, they're going to be much more receptive and it probably even would motivate them to explore that versus you know, somebody, in a, you know, an older uh, age demographic, right? Whether they're not used to technology. Yeah, I hope so. I, that's, that's a barrier I ran into at CBAI is uh, that difference in understanding of technology and stuff. So I would agree. Yeah, I, I was going to say Terry Fundre, who uh, was a founder of her, she was basically doing the a Fitbit, Fitbit technology uh, using IoT AI for the manufacturing industry in terms of making the process of manufacturing product a lot more consistent and mm -hmm. taking the human factor out of it. And she had a similar experience uh, trying to get manufacturing uh, companies to, you know, embrace this new technology. So uh, it's tough. Yeah, she, it's tough. Yeah. I always like to help two different groups of people with my great guests and, and, and their advice. So the first group, I just love, kids coming out of college, young adults. And I, I always try to ask, uh, and you're obviously not that far from graduating from uh, college at Simpson, but what advice would you have for somebody graduating uh, next month, May of 2023, in terms of their career and getting their first job? Biggest thing I would say is don't do something for money. <laughs> go, go to a place to learn something. Go to a place that can help you, like, can can further what you want to do with your life overall. Like, it's not just about money. Like, are, is there a mentor there that, that you respect? Is there somebody, like, could you go work for one of Elon's companies to be around some of those types of people? Like, like a, raising, a rising tide raises all ships. Like, so what tide, what ocean, what sea or whatever do you want to be in so that you can rise with those? That's, like, the number one piece of advice I could give because – that shapes your brain more than you know. Like, it's crazy. So that, that'd be a huge piece of advice. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And the second group is, you know, you start your career out of college. You're mainly an individual contributor. You're not leading a team. So that first time that you, you know, move to another company or get promoted with the company you started out of college, and now you have people under you, you're responsible for a team. What advice would you have? give them in terms of their leadership journey and, you know, how to become a great leader? Uh, lead next to your team instead of in front of them would be one of the biggest things I would think about. Uh, Socrates was known for doing like work next to type stuff with the people he was teaching on his team where he would go out and work next to them and talk and get to know them and have conversations and work alongside them um, as opposed to like leading from the front. Um, or just like barking orders and stuff. And so he did two things there. He got out and was doing with them. Um, and then second of all, he was getting to know them on a, on a, on a deeper level. It, it wasn't just about work. <laughs> like you could have a, a conversation about anything, um, just getting to know one another. So building that harmony inside of a team, inside of a group, and then having the, the awareness of understanding that that's how you start to build an awareness of your team. 
because you need different cogs and different pieces and parts of your team. And when you understand your team um, and they trust you because you've been next to them, now you can effectively navigate more effectively going forward as a unit, as opposed to a bunch of individuals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great advice. Coda, love to see what you're doing in, in the mental health space. Can't wait to see uh, as it matures, how, how many people you're helping. So th- thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you so much. You've been a, a great mentor in my life as well. And to many, many, many other uh, young professionals in the Kansas city area. So I really appreciate what you're doing here and what you're doing for young people um, in the Kansas City area and abroad as well. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. You too. I just love talking to Cody. I mean, it's hard to imagine coming out of college in a short couple of years, you're the CEO of your own company. Mm. I think he just has wisdom beyond his age. Uh, When I show uh, pictures of Socrates, uh, an image of Socrates <laughs> at a, to a class, uh, they don't, they have no idea who, who that person is <laughs> or who, who they, who the statue represents, which I find amazing. But Cody was quoting Socrates. So He's I just thought it out. was phenomenal. I tell you, once again, Jeff, you have discovered this Gen Z millennial type person that in their um, short career, they have done more than I've done in my entire life. So it's amazing what he's been able to do. You know, one of the things that I liked about him was he was talking about, and I'm going to get this wrong, but when the brain is deprived of social contact, that these white cells or these white fibers start growing inside the brain or something like that, and he he talked about that. Whatever it was, the the point of it was that he and his research are starting to find physiological reasons for things happening. And I think that's a good thing. I'm no expert in mental health by any means, but I've always thought that mental health professionals deal a lot with feelings and they deal a lot with with attitudes and with thoughts and, and things like that. And I would like to see mental health professionals look at statistics, look at blood pressure and heart rates and whatever else they can measure. Because I got to believe that if somebody does a certain behavior X, whatever that behavior is, there's something going on inside the brain. There's some something, some uh, neurons that are being fired, some chemicals being released, there's something like that. And I want the bright minds like Cody to do research and statistical research and studies on things like that to bring that kind of, uh, of a science to the mental health industry. Yeah, I mean, I love his passion using data and AI and, um, you know, his neuroscience major in college is to, uh, you know, make mental health a priority for people and help people with mental health. There's a, there's a lot of work to be done. He will never be without a job if that's what he's doing. hundred percent. Any uh, leadership lessons that you want to impart on the audience? Today, we're going to go to that uh, great philosopher, Kelly Kapoor, who one time said, who says exactly what they're thinking? I mean, what kind of game is that? 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.